Welcome to Genesis. My name is Hans. I get to serve as one of the pastors here, and it is a joy to do so. I want to read our passage and talk about forgiveness. The passage goes like this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray for clarity. Father, through this passage... We pray that we understand and that you would make us a more forgiving people. Amen. Well, there was a, maybe the season's already over, but there was a season in my life where my kids liked to break rocks. We have rocks that kind of go around our house for drainage, and they started to take the rocks, and you know, I'd find little rock pieces all over my driveway or whatever else, the lawnmower will suck them up and they break apart. Bull rock or whatever, like, you know, river rock. Not a big deal. <clears throat> but they really like to break rocks because they want to see what's inside. But if you've ever broken rocks, no one here's probably ever done that. But if you've ever broken rocks, you know, you're a creek kid or whatever. Uh, my brother lives by a creek. I call all his kids creek kids or creek trolls. Um, you ever done that, you know that it's not necessarily, I mean, it's, you'll be fine, but when you, like, hit a rock against a rock, what starts to happen? But, like, pieces fly off. Pieces fly off all the time. So you got to watch your eyes. I haven't told the story. I said one time, like, two years ago, one day I'm going to tell you the story of this scar right here. Well, today is the day. You might think that I had been planning this, but I really hadn't. I just knew that I told you I'd tell you. This seems like an important time to do it. So I was a college student, or I was working at our church, not a college student at that time. I was working for my previous church, and I was in this room, which was our college offices, and they had this half wall that was built up. So the room was tall, and they had a half wall, so you could go into the other side and kind of make it look like an office space, but you could throw stuff over it back and forth, jump over it if you wanted, so you wouldn't keep anything special in there. But we needed to get inside. One of our staffers said, hey, can you let me in? So I don't have a key, but I will uh, go ahead and just hop the wall because I was fleet-footed, and uh, I knew I could. So hop over the wall. But as I get to the top, I look down on this side, which is where everything is, and there's like desks and shelving. Well, I can't jump down there because I'm not good enough, so I have to kind of shimmy. Now I'm on top of this wall, like shimmying down. I look like a fool. And then it turns 90 degrees, and so i got to turn 90 degrees because there's a copy machine right here, and I can't jump down on the copy machine. And so I continued to shimmy, and then what I didn't realize is that the composition of the top of the wall changed. Where it was wood, it became just trim, right? So now I'm trying to push down on trim. If you ever tacked in trim, you know that, like, the nails, the finishing nails, they're not to hold anything. Like, you're not supposed to put any weight on that. It just kind of keeps it in place, and you put some caulking in there, and you're good. But I go, okay, let me make my move, and I make my move, and the trim rips off, and then my eye, right here, hits the actual wood that was tacked into it. So, boom, eyeball to the corner of wood. Immediately, what do you do? This is before I was a glasses wearer, so I'm, I'm like this, on top of a wall, mind you, right? So I'm straddling the wall, my face is down here on the wall. But what do you notice? But blood from my face trickling down the wall. So it's going down the wall, and I look up, and I'm like, I'm so shocked, I don't really do anything by it. I don't really do anything with it. I'm just kind of like, you're just up on the wall. Now I don't know how to get down. My face is bleeding. 
I'm watching the blood go down the wall. In fact, we don't do a lot of cleaning at that. You know, most churches don't get cleaned that often. Uh, just a fact of life. So I'm sure if I went and took you to the spot, you could still see my blood stain, you know, eight years later or whatever it was. The staffer goes, oh man, you're bleeding. I'm like, I know. I don't know what to do with it. So then I get this black eye and this blood, and my doctor buddy was kind enough to let me meet him in his office, and he glued it shut because uh, if not, it would have been workman's comp. And what an embarrassing workman's comp claim to be jumping over a a wall at your office to let a guy in, and <laughs> what did you do? Well, I was hopping over a wall. Well, were you working? I was like, I was working, but I wasn't really doing my job. Like, that was, like, like, does that count? Like, if it happens at work during work hours, is it workman's comp, or do I have to be performing my job? And jumping over the wall clearly was not in my job description. But we use a phrase when stuff like that happens, and your face bounces off of something, and it scars you, and there's blood. Like, we, we might say something like this, those rocks that my kids like to hit or that wall that my face likes to hit, it's not very forgiving. And what do we mean when we say that? That means it can't absorb anything. It can't take anything on. Like when you hit it, something breaks. If not the thing that you're hitting breaking, then it's going to be your face. So something breaks when you hit that. Not very forgiving. When you come up with force against an object or even a person's emotions. The hardness or softness of that is going to do a lot. It's going to communicate a lot. Forgiveness And really, if something then is forgiving, it absorbs the blow. And no one else is injured by it. If something isn't forgiving, it doesn't absorb the blow. And someone's getting hurt. Now, as we're in this portion of Matthew chapter 6... Remember, Matthew chapter 6 is helping us kind of build on what we finished in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 was moving us through statements about the law and how to abide by the law from the heart, not just externally. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus is our total fulfillment of the law, but he still had an expectation that our way of living would exceed that of the scribe and the Pharisees, that he would want us to live openly for him because we're free to live freely. And we have his spirit to live passionately. It's indwelling us so that we can do in obedience from the heart the things that God asked. Well, chapter 6 now goes, let me talk about areas of the heart. Let me talk about things that you would be living out, the ways you would practice your righteousness. And he speaks about our giving to the poor. And he speaks about our prayer. Next week he'll be speaking about fasting. Prayer gets three. He begins with your heart in prayer, right? And then last week was the Lord's Prayer. Like, so pray like this. Because you know your Father knows what you need, you have nothing to worry about. You don't have to try and manipulate Him to get what you want. He knows what you need. And you have a relationship with Him as your Heavenly Father. So you just then begin communicating with your Heavenly Father. You don't have to dress it up. In fact, dressing it up shows us that we don't really know Him like that. We just come to him. 
And it's interesting because now he ends with this portion in verses Matthew 6, 14 and 15 that come on the heels of that instruction. And he's only talking about chapter 6, verse 12, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And then he gives you verses 14 and 15 as he finishes the prayer. For if you forgive others, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you don't, your heavenly Father will not. This is an interesting passage because if you just, just kind of read it, and I ask you this question, how do we get forgiven? Your answer might be, well, you, from this passage, you get forgiven by forgiving. Right? I mean, that's what it says. If you do this, then this will happen. It's that kind of conditional statement. If you forgive, then your Heavenly Father will forgive you. If you do not forgive, then your Heavenly Father will not forgive you. And so to understand this statement and where we are in Matthew, I'm going to take a bit. And, and the good thing about the gospel writers is they don't care about your box. Like, they're not, like they didn't all get together and go, hey, let's build our theology and then we'll write our gospels about it. Like, they were just writing in the inspiration of the Spirit, and so they're not concerned about how what they say fits into what you think they should have said. They just write. And then we look at it, we're like, uh, what does this mean? So we're going to broaden out a little bit and talk just about forgiveness at first, and then go to the passage so that that can help us kind of make those connections. So we're going to focus on forgiveness from the heart. We have to look at the concept of forgiveness and then go to Matthew 6, 14 and 15 so that we don't just think, well, I have to always be forgiving because I really want to be sure I am forgiven. Because if that's our logic, then we're always going to be wondering, did I forgive enough? Did I forgive enough people? Am I holding on to offense? I'm a little bugged by this thing and now I got to go deal with it because if not, God is withholding something from me. And sometimes we do have that view of God as withholding something from us, don't we? We kind of always think, oh, no, God's going to take it from me if I, don't, if I don't do a good thing with it or if I don't do it right. He'll just kind of be, well, you're done. You know, here's your punishment. And so if our punishments, he removes his forgiveness, that's a big problem for people who want to be forgiven. So let's just start with the concept of forgiveness. That forgiveness makes life with God possible. That's how it even happens. Okay, so we'll just start right there in the immediate context, remember who Jesus is talking to? Is he just talking to randos, or is he talking to his disciples? Not talking to randos, right? Random people, that's what I mean. Not Rambo, rando. So is he talking to his disciples, or is he talking to just people on the street? He's talking to his disciples. That's how it begins, right? After he sat down, Matthew 5, 1, he went up on a mountain and, uh, and he began to teach them. His disciples came to them and he began to teach them, saying, and that's how he begins. Now, are other people there listening who are not his disciples, right, who are just curious about who this guy is? Of course, anytime you see a crowd, what happens? More crowd shows up. So are there people who are listening to Jesus' teaching and going, I'm curious about this? In fact, you know, there are people probably watching online or maybe people who are around are just going, I'm curious about this Jesus guy. I want, to, I want to hear more about this Jesus guy. In fact, I, I look at a marker of a healthy church or healthy community groups or healthy just walking with the Lord. Is it, are there people in your life who don't know Jesus, who are curious about him, who, who you like talking to? Right? Because, because where Jesus goes, people who want to follow him are there, and people who are kind of just curious about who he is are there too. But he's talking to his disciples, and he's teaching the, his disciples how to pray, and so when he says, pray like this, our Father, what is he assuming? He's assuming the relationship is there. Right? So he's teaching them how to pray. 
with the relationship and assuming the existence of that relationship, but Matthew isn't going to just let us kind of hang on that, right? Because I'm doing a little work there to show you that. Because Matthew's not bothered, and Jesus' instruction, we'll look at another one a little later, but he's not concerned about whether or not you're bothered by that statement. Because the statement's actually rather strong. He gives a whole parable on it to teach Peter this same idea later in Matthew about how to be forgiving and what, how we should be a forgiving people. But if forgiveness makes life with God possible, we need to understand what it is. So forgiveness is, is what? You heard Hannah say it in the video, actually. It, it's the removal of an obligation of indebtedness. Right? Anybody who has student loan debt is like, man, I really hope that I could get, maybe, maybe the government is going to just forgive my student loan debt. That would be great because you know what that means. If your debt is forgiven, you're no longer obligated to pay it. Some people probably aren't paying it even though they're obligated. And so, so it's the removal of an obligation. You no longer have to pay back what was done. It's been covered. Now, the removal of an obligation, when you think about actual forgiveness, the removal of that obligation is costly. Somebody is paying. You can't just walk around and go, oh, no, I, I forgive you for that. And do you, how? How do you forgive me for that? I mean, I, if I show up to your house and I say, oh, don't pay your credit card bill. No big deal. I'm sure it's forgiven. Like, I have no authority to do that, do I? You wish I did. I wish I did for your sake. But I have no authority to run around kind of just dubbing people that their debts are forgiven. I can't do that. So somebody has to pay. Now for us, when we think about debts in our regard where we have a mortgage or we have a car note or we have student loans or we have some bill that we're paying off and we have those, we would hope that we live in such a way that we can actually pay that obligation down. Right? That's the terms that we use in our culture. Not every culture uses debt in the terms like ours does. But we would hope that we kind of have a plan to go, okay, well, if, it's 15, if I have a 15-year mortgage or a 30-year mortgage that I refi every 20 years or whatever you have, uh, whatever you have, we would hope that there is a plan to remove that debt. However, what if the debt is against God? How do you pay that thing back? That's right, one of the big issues is how, how do you pay back a debt that, where the person you've offended is eternal, but you're not? How do you pay back a debt that has an eternal consequence when you yourself can't actually pay back the offended party for the duration, right? That, that becomes a little different. And so if our debt against God for our sinfulness that we have... We have encroached upon him and his holiness and we have mocked it with our lives and we have not considered him and we do not love him and, our, and we hate our neighbor and we are not a caring, loving, generous, kind mother, father, son, daughter, whatever that might be. When we aren't those things or we're dishonest or we don't want people to look at our search histories or we don't want people to realize what's going on in our lives. Like when all that happens and it's ultimately a sin against God, well, what do we do? We need someone or something to absorb that consequence, don't we? But if it's going to be absorbed, truly absorbed, then nothing can bounce off of it, right? 
So like if Jesus is going to take the entire penalty of our sins and forgive us, then he has to take on 100% of it. And not even 1% of it can bounce off and go hit somebody else in the eye. He has to take all of it. Okay? Jesus is the only one who's perfectly forgiving. His death on the cross as the payment for our sins is the way that we can actually have the consequence of our sin removed, forgiven. The Apostle Paul, who is a man who in uh, the book of Acts is radically changed by Jesus. Right? He's persecuting Christians. He's angry with Christians. He doesn't, he's killing them. And he's happy with it. And his bosses are proud thinking he's doing a good job. He has this time with Jesus where Jesus shows up and he's like, hey, why are you persecuting me? He's blinded. And then he dedicates the rest of his life to telling people about Jesus who's forgiven him. He writes this to a group of Christians in the Mediterranean world in Ephesians 1.7. If in him we have redemption through his blood, that would be his sacrifice, the forgiveness of our trespasses or sins, right, offenses, according to the riches of his grace. That in him... Him being Jesus, we have redemption. We've been bought, right? We've been bought through the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace because He actually has the ability, and you can hear the payment themes in that, right? Redemption, forgiveness, riches, like, like, like what is He doing for us but providing for us what we can't get ourselves? Well, the Apostle Paul is not the first person to come up with that idea, he didn't just kind of dream it up. In fact, roughly 700 years before the Son of God was incarnate, there's a prophet named Isaiah who writes it like this, Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for whose transgressions? Our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement or punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So when we talk about forgiveness, we need to talk about it in relationship to Jesus. That he's the one who provides the way for our forgiveness to even happen. We can't short-circuit that step which we try to do sometimes, right? We're trying to short-circuit the step of forgiveness to go, well, you know, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not that bad, right? I mean, I mean, we all do this. It's weights on the scale. We still do this. Even if we follow Jesus so often, we're like, what? Well, I just want to do more good things than bad things. Like, in case the forgiveness in Jesus isn't a real thing, I want to be sure that I did enough good to overcome the bad. That way I kind of get both philosophies of life. Right, I got the forgiveness in Jesus thing, but I also got the scales, and so either way, I'm all right. And we kind of live that way, kind of like a, like, a, like a shadow secularist, right? Just going to line it up, going, well, we're just going to do this. And perhaps you're listening, or you're watching, or later in the week when you grab the podcast, or you're engaging with this sermon, and you go, I don't know if I've actually ever gone to the Lord and sought his forgiveness, which is an act of turning, right? I would call that repentance, right? When you, when you move from your sins and you go to God, you are repenting of your way of life and saying, hey, God, your way's better. So even if that's, even if that's a mental turn, right? Even you're making a move from, I was going this way, I've realized that's not the right way, 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to you, Lord. So maybe you've actually gone, I don't actually, I've never been forgiven, right? Because growing up in church doesn't forgive you. Having a Christian mom or dad or grandmother doesn't forgive you. Driving by the church, giving to the church doesn't forgive you, but sometimes like, that's like the thing we do. Go, I'll just give to the church or give to charity or do this or that, right? And in fact, when the CARES Act came out uh, for us, right, last year, one of the things they did is they gave a little condition for you to be more charitable, right? So, you know, it used to be, well, I think you get like 300 bucks maybe for charitable giving, something like that, that you, even if you take a standard deduction, you can do because, wow, we want to stimulate charity and goodness. Maybe that'll help, and you can support charities that way because we know it's good to give, it's good to be supportive, it's good to fight for causes, so, so we'll do that too. All of those things, though, your giving, your kindness, your smiles, your driving by churches, your attaboys, your uh, kind words, the fact that you've been to church a bunch, like all of those things stacked up account for nothing if not for us going to the Lord and saying, I have sinned, will you forgive me? Not I've gone to church a bunch, will you forgive me? or you should forgive me, or I'm really generous, you should forgive me, or uh, I'm nice, you should forgive me, or, you know, my kids don't punch other kids, you should forgive me. Like, like all of those things account for nothing. It is the work of Jesus for us. So all who trust in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus have their sins forgiven. Every person. And it's that forgiveness that makes life with God possible that he has canceled the consequence of our sin, which would be separation from him forever. And it provides us the ability to go back to the prayer Jesus instructed on, the way to call God Father. Through the work of Jesus, we're able to call God Father. Okay? Now, verses 14 and 15. We need that kind of sure-footedness to go, okay, well, what Jesus is doing for us to provide the way for us to be forgiven, then when he uses this language, <clears throat> he's saying something. So let's look at 14 and 15, and we'll realize that forgiveness marks, marks our life with others. So forgiveness makes life with God possible, and it marks our life with others, that we're forgiving people. So verse 14, if you forgive others their trespasses, or you just think sins, <clears throat> wrongs, offenses, whatever word works there, because we don't usually use trespassing, uh, except like when we're on somebody else's land. You know. <clears throat> Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. <clears throat> so taking a face value, what do we see? I have to forgive others so that God can go, okay, you're good. You're good, you're good, you're good, you're good. You're not good, you're not forgiving. You're good, you're forgiving, you're good. Like, like, so now, now it's, it's not faith in Jesus, it's forgiving that makes me forgiven. <clears throat> now there are two kind of main ways to consider this language. And it's funny because oftentimes when people talk about, what does this mean? It could mean this, or it could mean that, or it could mean that. All they're really talking about is slices of a pie that get you to the same place. Right, like you still land here, but you just take a left instead of a right at this turn, and then all of a sudden, like, you go, oh, it's still Jesus. Like, he's still the one that forgives us. So, so some guys kind of veer one way, and others veer another, and let me, these are the ways they veer. Some people look at this at, as our relational connection with God. 
okay, and with others, meaning it's focusing on your ongoing relationship with others. There's another writer, uh, the Apostle John, he says, um, for if you uh, confess your sins, that God is faithful to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from unrighteousness, which talks kind of about that relational aspect with God, where, yes, sin does affect our relationship with him. And so we, it doesn't change our status with him, but, but yeah, I heard a guy this week even talk about his static on the line. We, we do, our, our relationship has been frustrated by our sin. Anybody who's ever been in any kind of relationship, I don't mean just like dating or marriage or whatever, if you just exist in a relationship, it could be a coworker. you know that when one of you has offended the other, it affects the relationship. Every time. <clears throat> Every time. So some would go, well, this is kind of saying if we live or struggle with our forgiveness as believers, then it's going to be very hard for us to interact with the Lord faithfully. It's really coming from the position of as the believer does it. And then there's another kind of take, which is those who live in unforgiveness, they're unforgiving people, don't actually live in fellowship with God. Right? So one talks more about you, you really don't know God, because if you knew God, you'd be forgiving. So one says, you know God, but you're being unforgiving. So, hey, do that so you can live in a better relationship with him kind of throughout the day and as you walk. The other says, if you actually aren't a forgiving person, then you probably don't know God. Okay? Now I'm going to tell you this, and we're going to do one thing real quick. Uh, the second one makes way more sense to me than the first. I do think that our are the way we sin does affect our relationship with God, and we need to ask forgiveness. But I think Jesus helps us understand more of what he means in Matthew 18. So, right, so in Matthew 6, he's talking to us as God the Father, but in Matthew 18, he's giving an illustration that lines right up with what he's taught in 14 and 15. Matthew uh, 18, verses 21 through 35, this parable is going to shed light on this, and I would say this, that Jesus expects his disciples to be forgiving people because there are forgiven people. It's, it's an expectation. Yeah, you forgive because you've been forgiven. So let's look at this. Matthew 18, if you want to just listen, if you want to follow along, the words are below me. If you're watching online, you know, sometimes they, like, they get up to like here sometimes. But wherever they are, whatever, wherever you are, Matthew 18. Peter, this is the guy who, you know, is the one who can't keep his mouth shut as a, a, a disciple and cuts guys' ears off. So my kind of dude. Peter was like, hey, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Like, how many times do I need to do this? As many as seven times, which is kind of like, you know, a, a number of wholeness, like complete forgiveness. And Jesus is like, no, I don't even say to you seven times, 77 times. Now, he's not in that going, like, all of you keep a list, and once you, the person gets their 78th offense against you, like, you're free to hate them. It's not what that's saying. Jesus is going, no, 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 you just, you just always be forgiving, right? Yeah, I'm just going to multiply that number of wholeness and go, no, no, not just like this amount. Like you just, just, you're just like a, a fount of forgiveness. That's what you are. You just offer it and 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 offer it. That's what you do. Don't even try and figure out how many times you have to forgive, forgive somebody because there's no amount of times that then you hit your limit, Right? It's not like money that runs out for us. Like you just keep giving it. Keep giving it. He illustrates it. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Well, there we go. A indebtedness idea again. 
when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That was a lot of money, okay? A lot of money. You're never paying it back. Let's just put it that way. You're never paying it back. There's a person who talks to his kids, and he's like, good luck paying my debts off after I die because there's no way I'm going to do it. Okay, like that's, yeah. Matt's like, yeah, I know that world. Love you, Jade. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children, all he had, a payment to be made. Fine. You can't pay it. Here's your punishment. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. It's a lofty statement. Out of pity for him, not confidence in him, out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and his fellow servants who owed him, I'm sorry, uh, and forgave the debt. Okay, so he's, you're forgiven. So this person's been forgiven. Right? No more debt. You're not in jail. You have it all. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his servants who owed him lunch money, essentially, right, 100 denarii, like, in relation to what he did owe, owed him this, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Sounds familiar, right? Didn't he just say that to his master? Master forgave him. Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. We're not going to be able to pay the debt in prison. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to them, You wicked servant, wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You see the connection now between what Jesus teaches in Matthew 6 and what Jesus is teaching in Matthew uh, 18. I'm sorry, Matthew 23 is the next one. Or Matthew 18, 21 and to the end there. That he's saying, you have to forgive because you've been forgiven. It's an expectation. Now, parables don't always line up. In fact, parables are interesting, and so is narrative, because it doesn't line up in our boxes. You should go, wait a minute, he's telling me that my forgiveness is dependent. And you go, well, wasn't the, wasn't the guy already his servant, right? And we just try to, like, theologize our way into it. I think sometimes we lose the force that Jesus is going for, which is to say, you're following me. The expectation is that you're a forgiving person. That there's no such thing as an embittered, unforgiving, angry disciple who just, who just stews forever, indefinitely, in unforgiveness, who's angry and has no idea how to give. Because, because in fact, if that were the case, then maybe we don't realize what the Lord has done for you in the first place. Forgiveness produces forgiveness. Unforgiveness produces unforgiveness. Jesus' language is strong here because the consequences of living in a serious state of unforgiveness are dire. 
And sometimes we go, well, what about this? Or I have this relationship, or I have this thing, or I have that thing. Like, like our whole life in Christ, we're, we're realizing more and more of the areas of our heart that need to be confessed and pruned. And so this is not to say that if you're frustrated with somebody, you're not a Christian. This isn't to say that if you haven't dealt with your anger, that you're not a Christian. Uh, because, uh, and I was talking with a, a D group buddy about this this week, is that like, about how we grow, and he's like, man, I hope that, I, I have the same hope, and I have the same hope for you, I hope that like in 10 years, I'm sinning less than I'm sinning now. I said, I have the same hope, but here's the funky thing that happens, is that I become more aware now, or in 10 years, of the sins I'm committing now, that I didn't even know were sins, right? Like, so in 10 years, I'm, I'm becoming more aware of the things that I'm doing now that I think nothing of currently, so I do hope that I sin less in 10 years, but I'm also way more aware of my sinfulness because I've walked with the Lord longer and I've seen more ugly things in my heart and I've had to confess more of those things and I'm realizing that, you know, the reason so-and-so bugs me is because I'm a messed up person. Like, like, on all that that happens as you go. So it's not to say that if you're dealing with something or you're frustrated with somebody that you are somehow then removed from God's kingdom. But... If we have no capacity to forgive and all we are is embittered, then perhaps we have not come face to face with our forgiving God. That we have not encountered his forgiveness for our sin. And so we have no category for forgiveness other than movies, right? And there's some pretty cool forgiveness stories in movies, right? They kind of make you cry or whatever. Like they have those moments. But if salvation is by grace through faith, you're released from the eternal punishment of your sins. You are free. And, and, and that freedom is evidenced in gracious living with others. Not perfect living, because that's only one perfect person. But gracious living with others. So to the Genesis members in the room, where are the relationships that are strained in your life or in your church? Because Jesus says, right, if you are offering your gift and you're, you, know, you realize that your brother has something against you, go leave your offering and go reconcile with your brother. Uh, Matthew is the author here, is really concerned with how we live. He wants it to be rooted in the right person, Jesus, but he's really concerned with how we live and that our living reflects the kingdom to come and not the way of this world. And forgiveness is one of those ways. Where are you harboring frustration towards somebody? When's the last time you asked forgiveness of your spouse? You go, oh no, I don't do that. Like, we're perfect. I'm like, really? Right? The, the person who should hear you say, will you forgive me the most, is your spouse. Because they're the person that probably understands how ugly you are next to the Lord. It's like the Lord's like way over here, and then like 10 million you know, years later, it's you, it's you and your spouse. Right? They see the worst of you. How many times do you ask forgiveness? Or do you just kind of go, oh, no, 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 no. Like, like we're good. Like, we, we know we screw up, and we don't ask it. No, in the actual asking of forgiveness, there is something that happens relationally to say, will you forgive me? Even this week, I was um, 
I was an, a, a father who exasperated his children. I was in a bad mood, and my kids got the brunt of it. Now, that's never happened to you, but it happens to me. So I was in a bad mood, and my kids were getting the worst of it. And even one of them was like, why are you doing this? So he asked, why are you doing this? I was like, oh, I'm just playing. And really, I'm just, you know, PO'd, but whatever. And, and somehow, you get, you get my worst. I went downstairs, and I'm kind of doing whatever I'm doing. I think I, 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 was, I was praying, and I was trying to figure out something. And I was like, oh, Lord. And I go back upstairs, right? Even though kids are resilient. And, you know, a week later, the kid's not going to do it. Like, I try to talk yourself out of asking forgiveness. I go to two of my kids, and I said, I shouldn't have acted the way that I did. And one of them was like, well, I thought he was overreacting. I'm like, well, put that aside. I shouldn't have done it, but thanks. But I shouldn't have done it. I go to the other kid, and I said, I should not have talked to you that way. I should not have done that. You were the recipient of just me being frustrated. And I'm sorry about that. Will you forgive me? And it is a, embarrassing really is the wrong word, but I think in our flesh sometimes we can say it like that, you know? It's, it's embarrassing to always be the one, <laughs> to be like, I screwed that up, I did that, I did that, I did that. But in fact, the more often we ask forgiveness of one another and we extend forgiveness to one another, just the more natural it becomes, it just kind of becomes the, the language we speak. And I'm sorry I did that. Will you forgive me? Of course I will. Why? Well, because Jesus says we're supposed to be forgiving. So I'm not going to be like, well, dance first. Then I'll forgive you. Like, we don't do that. Why? Because Jesus didn't do that for us. Jesus didn't say, trust me and dance. Or trust me and give more. Or trust me, right? And, and, and we spend a lot of our lives trying to get the order of things correct. Uh, but honestly, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years go by, and we realize that, you know, 30 years ago, we were a little screwed up there, and 20 years later, we feel a little better, and then 10 years later, we realize who we were 20 years ago was also a mess. Like, we're just we're kind of moving, right? The Lord has us, and he's getting us to that destination where we get to hear well done for those of us who are in him. But saying and asking forgiveness and hearing somebody ask for forgiveness and being able to say, yes, I forgive you, that is far different from saying, and I mean this. Hey, are we good? Hey, are we good? We good? Oh, yeah, we're good. Bull. Right? I mean, just, we're good is like the, the thing that people say to kind of just kind of move. Oh, no, we're, we're, we're good. We're bros. We're friends. We got this. To say, will you forgive me, means you've offended. To say, I forgive, means I am not counting this offense against you. To say we're good is really just saying, I'm not bugged enough to make this a thing. I'll get over it. And hopefully in time I will. And then a year later they do something else, and then all of a sudden now you're yelling at them for like 15 things they did. Why? Because you never dealt with what was actually going on. Now to those who have been wounded by others, I, I, am, I am quite the wounder. Um, in people's lives. And I have people, I have relationships that still, like we, we try to be honest and open with each other, but I have relationships that still exist strained. Not because we haven't talked it out, 
but because the reverberations of my stupidity in this relationship or these relationships have affected how we operate together. And we're kind of, our relationship kind of has a limp as we try to operate. To those who've been wounded by others and, and you're not sure what to do with it, I ask you this, are you, are you harboring unforgiveness that you need to bring to the Lord and just go, Lord, what do I do with this? Some people get, are, are, are embittered by parents, and their parents have since died. And I go, well, relationally, there's really no way you can actually then close that gap anymore. You can't go to your dad or your mom and ask for forgiveness, because they're not alive. So what do you do with that? If there's no capacity for you to process what's going on, even in that moment, then it's likely that we're not going to the Lord with these burdens. Because the Lord has in us, provided in His Spirit, the capacity for us to go, man, I wish it would have gone differently, but I don't have to let that offense hang over me. I don't have to let it hang over me. I can, I can live freely. I'm not going to let that hurt or that harm be the thing that defines me because in the Lord, He has seen the worst of me and He has forgiven me. So I'm not going <clears> to <throat> live with this level of bitterness. And as you remember, let's not forget what Jesus had just instructed us on, even though it was for us a week ago. He's teaching His disciples how to pray. Prayer is a great place to work out what's going on in our hearts with the Lord. And, and sometimes it might be beneficial just to ask the Lord, are there places and people that I am frustrated with that I am not rightly addressing? Because if we actually do pray, forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive, we shouldn't just pay lip service to it, we should actually do it. Seek forgiveness from the Lord as we are also extending forgiveness to others because we are His children. So to go, Lord, are there places where I'm just not forgiving? Listen to what the same Apostle Paul teaches us in Colossians 3. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, one of like the lost virtues of being in a church. Like, you know what? I'm out. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You don't just bounce, right? You know, hey, love this church, I'm out, because you guys stink. Okay, well, just bring those hurts to your next church, and then give it five years, and you're going to do the same thing there. Why? Because you're not dealing with what's going on here. You're not contending with what the Lord asked. You're just trying to kind of move that around like a shell game. Move around what's going on in your heart so that you can live life and just get through the day. That's not what the Lord has for his people. What does he have for his people? He would ask us this, that we forgive as one who is forgiven. That if somebody said, oh yeah, well you know, I don't really want to ask forgiveness of them. I just hurt them so badly. You go, no, 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 you don't know them then. Like they're going to forgive you like this. 
you should run to them and ask for forgiveness because it's just, they're just so ready to dispense it. They're just so ready to, to talk to you and pray with you and be encouraged by what's going on and just go, we're good. We're good. So we forgive as one who is forgiven. We first go to God, our Father, and we say, Father, what's going on in me? And what have you done for me? And as, as we realize that, and the, and the greater we even realize what, what the Lord has done for us in Christ, the more minuscule the offense against one another, right? That's for the, Jesus' parable. You owed a billion dollars. Somebody else owed you lunch money. Your billion dollars got forgiven. You can't forgive lunch money, right? That's just to say that the offenses that we have against one another are far less significant than the offenses that we have made against God. And so we should forgive as ones who are forgiven. We should consider what the Lord has forgiven in us and then realize, I have no right, no right to harbor bitterness, to hold on to it, to be frustrated. The only person that's hurting is me and everyone else who comes into contact with it. Those who follow Jesus should be zealous to forgive because we've seen the same thing provided for us in Christ. Forgiven people are a Forgiving people. We should be forgiving. And ha- I would even say eager to forgive. Eager to forgive. Looking for opportunities. Ready. Why? Because then it provides relational unity, relational harmony within the church. The places to reflect and show the world the goodness and character of its Savior. The one who's taught us how to forgive, and who forgave us first.